Well, hopefully you're doing well. Thank you for taking time to watch and listen to this message. Well, we're in a brand new series called The Day After Christmas. I don't imagine that you have a Christmas tradition or two. Maybe it's a certain food that you like, or maybe it's a certain person who makes that favorite dish. Maybe your traditions are linked to where you go, when you go, and who you're with. Now, for us, it's opening, well, it's Brooke opening the gift on Christmas Eve, one gift, and then opening the rest of the gifts on Christmas Day. And then we're in our PJs all day long on Christmas Day. And like all day long, even when we go to dinner with our family, it's ham and turkey and PJs. Now, after dinner, we exchange white elephant gifts with those names we drew. See, do you have any day after Christmas tradition? Yeah, what I mean is the day after. Not the day before, the day of, but the day after. For us, we're split. Like, I'm ready for the tree to come down and for us to get back to normal. For Jenny, on the other hand, she wants to keep the tree up through New Year's Eve, and she wants to take the next few days just to sleep in, to rest, to catch her breath. And that brings us to what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. The day after Christmas, for the very first Christmas, people were ready to get back to normal. In an effort to update the tax base, Caesar Augustus decreed a census should be taken. And this is what was written about. So Luke is a journalist. He's also a doctor, and he's documenting what happened, what transpired. So he's given us some history. He said, at that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Now, everyone had to register in their birthplace. So if you were born in Bethlehem, you had to go to Bethlehem. And it set the stage for the very first Christmas. See, but in those days, there was no Christmas. It was just chaos. No Christmas, just chaos. Travel was expensive and it was dangerous. People were anxious to get back home and get back to normal. And we'll find that things would never be normal again. In the, in the chaos of the census, there was a child born and a child whose birth would have geopolitical implications for generations. And in a moment, first time in history, the divine would become flesh. This is how John writes it. He says, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. It means that Jesus did not quit, that he was not only God in the flesh, and as he took on skin, he took on flesh, he moved into the neighborhood per se. He never quit on what God the Father wanted for him. And that is a model for you and for me. See, everyone whose life intersected with this child from his birth to the death of his, as the day of his execution, they would be a footnote in his story. The peasants, the governors, the workers, the kings, and even the Caesar would be a footnote in his story. So unbeknownst to virtually everyone, on that, Christ, that very first Christmas, a king had been secreted into the world. Not a religious figure, but a king. A, a king who would disrupt and reverse the order of things. A king who would lay down his life for his subjects rather than demand his subjects lay their life down for him. A, a king who would require his subjects to lay down their lives for one another. And this king 
had the right to rule, and it is Jesus. And I think that's the thing that's lost us in our culture, that, that Jesus is a king. Jesus is the king. And he has a right to rule over us. See, church and culture often has reduced Jesus to a backup plan, a conscious reliever, a comforter, a spare tire, a call of friend. And while Jesus' right to rule over us has been lost, it was not lost on Mary and it was not lost on Joseph. See, when the angel appeared to Mary and revealed the identification of who her son was going to be, they surrendered. They yielded. Notice what the angel said. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus. And the English version, whether Latin or Greek or Hebrew, is Yeshua. Joshua, meaning ruler or leader. The angel continues, he will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David. So not only does he come from God, but he is going to come from David's line. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. See, Mary was told that her baby boy was going to be a king, a roller, a lawgiver, a judge. No, no merely a forgiver of sins, no merely a point of reference, but a king. And what the angel said unfolds throughout the New Testament in history. Jesus would always be a king. Jesus is still king. Jesus is still king. The question those of us who claim to be Christians must wrestle with every day and answer honestly or at least decide on, especially this time of the year as we focus in, is this. Is Jesus my king? Is Jesus my king? Have you, have I reduced Jesus to a conscious reliever, a sin forgiver, someone I call in in an emergency? Have you and I reduced Jesus as a cross around our neck, a tattoo, a tattoo on an ankle, or someone that we call as on as a last resort? See, what happens when we do that is faith is reduced to teaching and religion. It becomes rules. So you'll be a Christian in the modern sense, but not in the original sense of the word. You'll live your life with insurance that somehow you've been forgiven, you're going to get into heaven, but you're going to miss out on what life is like here and now. Because when we have Jesus as our king, when he is our king, we're participating in his kingdom in the here and now. And he wants us to submit to his way, his will, his plan, his desires, because those are so much better for us. They don't leave us wanting. So on that first Christmas, in the middle of the census, there was a diversion or a distraction from the main event that a king was secreted into the world. And it was a perfectly executed plan. If not, for the sincere but confused magi. See, Mary and Joseph's secret would have been remained a secret for the next 30 years until Jesus went public with his teaching ministry. See, here's what happened. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Now, this is Herod the Great. He rebuilt the temple. 
He had an he was an extraordinary architect, a military strategist, and a general. He was brilliant, yet yeah, he was ruthless. I mean, he murdered, murdered his own family, who he thought was going to betray him. He was committed to preserving his legacy through his kids. And if his plan, his plan, if it came to fruition, they would also be future kings. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. See, these were not kings. These were court advisors from Persia who studied ancient texts and watched for divine messages in the movements of the planets and stars. Now, here's what's so interesting. Years before this, there was a guy by the name of Daniel. And Daniel is the same Daniel as in Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel lived in this area, and Daniel, I'm sure, recorded and had documents about his faith. Now, we don't know how many there were. We don't know how many wise men. We don't know their names. And if they were following a star, they would not have landed in Jerusalem. They would have landed in Bethlehem. So they weren't following a star. But when they showed up in Jerusalem, nobody was talking about the birth of a king. If a king had been born, you would think that everybody in the town was talking about it, but no one in the town was talking about it. And so they started asking people. And where people were was at the temple, so they went to the temple. And they recognized what we missed, that a king had been born. Sometimes we can get so focused on the things that don't matter, and we miss the things that really matter. So they saw a new star from where they lived, and they were convinced it signaled, signaled the birth of a Jewish king. And they traveled to the most logical place, Jerusalem. And word spread quickly. And king Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this as everyone in Jerusalem, because this wasn't good for Herod. The birth of a new rabbi, a prophet, a religious figure, a, I mean, that can be dealt with, that could be handled. But a king was a very big deal. The birth of a king signaled a regime change and likely would bring insurrection and civil unrest. And the birth of a king was a threat to Herod's dynasty and legacy. So this led him to do this, that he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, so where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Herod had to do something as there was going to be an uprising with the Jews. Herod was educated enough to understand that the Jewish king would be the Messiah. And Messiah is the Hebrew word for anointed one, and in the Greek is translated Christ. The Messiah would be God's last and forever king. Herod knew that. He didn't stand a chance. See, Christ isn't a last name. It's, in fact, a title, Jesus the King. Not just a king was born, but the king who wasn't anointed by a prophet or a priest, but the king was anointed and appointed by God, the creator of all things. And Jesus was appointed and anointed by God to establish a kingdom, not of this world, but for this world. It was a kingdom that would be characterized as an other's first kingdom. And Herod suspected it was, it was and possibly threatened by it. He was threatened by it, and he knew that we might miss that a king is born. People 
must choose. See, notice how C.S. Lewis reveals the tension. He writes this, I wonder whether people who ask God to interfere openly and directly in our world quite realize what it will be like when he does. See, when that happens, it is the end of the world. It's like when the author walks out on the stage, the play is over, God is going to evade. And when it does, it comes crashing in. It's something so beautiful to some of us and it's something so terrible to others that none of us will have any choice left. That will not be the time for choosing. It will be the time when we discover which side we really have chosen. Whether we realized it before or not, now, today, this moment is our chance to choose. God is holding back to give us that chance. It will not last forever We must take it or leave it. See, on Christmas, a king was born. Have you chosen to follow him as your king? Have you you chosen him as your king? Have you accepted his invitation, not simply to believe, but to follow? See, Herod believed, but he wasn't willing to follow. Then he learned the location. They said to him, in Bethlehem in Judea, For this is what the prophet wrote, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting, and with the wise men he learned from them the time when the the star first appeared. And he told them, Go to Bethlehem. See, Herod, he learned that it was Bethlehem from the scholars, who were familiar with the Old Testament prophecies, and he sent the Magi to discover the exact location of the birth of the child, whose kingdom would be not of, but certainly be for this world. See, God became one of you and one of me to, to dwell among us. Not so that we could know where we go to heaven when we die, but that we could experience in this life the kingdom of God for all who choose to participate in it. See, the invitation is extended by Jesus today. He says, will you follow me? Will you surrender to me? Will you acknowledge me as more than a sin forgiver, a conscious cleanser, a last resort, a good luck charm? Will you acknowledge me as your king? If you do, you'll be invited to participate in God's kingdom now. See, on Christmas, we celebrate the birth of a king. And the question for you and for me, is Jesus your king? Is he your king? Is he your king? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to come face to face with that decision. Either we are following Jesus or we are not. And as C.S. Lewis eloquently wrote, it is going to be very awesome for those of us when we follow, when he reveals all things, when he renews all things. We're going to be thrilled. We're going to be excited about it. But for those of us who are not following Jesus, we are going to be horrified and it is going to be a terrible experience. 
So, Father, I ask that you would soften our hearts, that Jesus not only is the king, but you want him to be our personal king, which means that we surrender and it no longer becomes about us, it becomes about Jesus. So allow that to happen. Allow us to get to that point where we make things about Jesus and what you want for us, not what we want. In Jesus' name, amen.